The Lord be with you. For the first time in my life, I am attempting to send out a Christmas card. I have a, I have a one-year-old baby. I figured now is the time. And so I looked at online options, and none of them really spoke to me, so I told my wife, Annalisa, that I would design the Christmas card for us. And this is what I showed her. <laughs> Christmas joy from our baby to you, Vipers, and there's Sophia surrounded by all sorts of snakes. I showed this to Annalisa, and to her credit, she busts up laughing. And I said, so what do you think? Can we send this out? And she said, no. And I said, well, why not? It's very biblical. And I think she knew that I was prompting her for sermon material, so she wouldn't give me a reason. But I think the reason is this, that people think snakes are bad, right? Yes, they're scary and icky, and it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, where in Genesis 1, God made everything, and God said, it's all good. And in Genesis 3, a serpent comes along and says, hey, there's this fruit that'll let you judge what is good and evil for yourself. Why don't you do it? And then humans do it. And from that point forward, God says there's going to be enmity between snakes and children of people. The children of people are going to try to stomp on the snake's head, and the snake is going to try to strike at the kid's heel. And so we say, snakes are bad. And today we hear John the Baptist saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And if we want to ask, well, what are the roadblocks to people having Jesus in their life? Well, we say, it's the snakes. You brood of vipers is what John the Baptist says, and he names those as the religious hypocrites and legalists called Pharisees and Sadducees. But maybe in the prophet Isaiah's day, people would say, well, no, it's the Assyrians or the Babylonians, those foreigners with armies besieging our city. Or maybe today we would say it's Gary down at the office. And we've got good news because John the Baptist says the Messiah is coming and he comes with an axe in his hand to chop down all the bad trees and he comes with a threshing fork to separate the wheat from the chaff and so serpents watch out. It's either repent or feel God's wrath. And then Isaiah comes along and tells us exactly what it's going to be like for those snakes when the Messiah comes. Because when the Messiah comes, he's going to take all those snakes and he's going to have them play with the little children. <laughs> and we say to ourselves, what? No, not my kids. Uh-uh. And Isaiah says, oh, it gets, gets better. You know, he's going to have wolves uh, hang out with your sheep and he's going to have jaguars hang out with your baby goats and lions hang out with your baby cows. And we say, not with my livestock. Uh-uh. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and says, oh, oh, wait a minute. Do you think in this scripture that you're the lamb? That you're the innocent little baby? Oh, why did you assume that? There's a, there's a, a theological term. It's kind of technical. It's called Disney princess theology. <laughs> and it's this tendency we have to read the Bible and assume we're the Disney princess in the story, Yes. That all the bad people are all the folks that we don't like, and we're obviously the innocent do-gooder that God is going to like save and empower, and we're going to be the hero of the story. But if you actually look at who our scripture calls out today, you might be surprised. We start off with that brood of vipers, which are the religious leaders. Right? To say, 
They may not be perfect religious leaders, but they're the religious leaders that Israel's got. The Pharisees and the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're pretty much the only game in town. They're the people reading Scripture. They're the ones trying to apply it to their lives. John the Baptist warns that a tree is going to get chopped down. But Isaiah tells us which tree gets chopped down. It's the tree of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David, the king to whom God promises his descendants will be kings forever. It's his family tree that gets chopped down, the people that God has put in charge of God's people. When John the Baptist goes around calling people to repent, he's not going out to Babylon or Assyria and saying, you guys better get your act straight. No. John the Baptist is calling God's own people to repentance. God is calling the people with power to repent. Maybe not military power or economic power, but spiritual power. God is calling on the people who have a relationship with God and therefore have the greatest power in the world at their fingertips and yet who aren't using it as God intends. God is calling them to repent. Now look, people love associating themselves with animals. Yeah, this is true for our sports teams. It's even true for our political parties, right? We got donkeys and elephants. We do it for nations. We got the Russian bear and the American bald eagle. And every time we associate ourselves with animals, it's inevitably powerful animals. There's very few sports teams other than the Santa Cruz banana slugs who are, you know, weak animals. It's usually jaguars or the cougars or the lions or the bears, right? Because when we go forth into the world, we want to feel like we're strong, like we're fast, like we're clever. We want to say to ourselves, the next time Gary takes my lunch out of the office fridge, I'm going to pounce on him like a lion. Because we want to have that sense of control and protection in our life. Until the moment comes along when we actually enter a conflict and we get hurt and maybe someone comes along to judge us, at which point we say, oh no, I'm the innocent little lamb. I I didn't do anything wrong. Right When HR hauls us in for starting a food fight with Gary, we say to ourselves, I was all Gary's fault. I, you know, I was just an innocent little baby minding my own business and he came stomping all over me. That's what we like to do, and and we have this tendency to say it's one or the other. That's how we're trained to think, right? We're either the lion or we're the lamb, and we see this in sports teams. You don't have people who are both, um, what are the Giants fans and people who are Dodgers fans, right? You're one or the other. Never the twain shall mix. And we see this on sort of national levels, right? Putin, to keep Russians fighting his war in Ukraine, he has to convince them, we're all Russian bears in this together, and everyone else is the American bald eagle clawing at our eyes. Even those Ukrainians, they're secretly American bald eagles. So we got to fight them. On our national level, too, right? Our political parties want you to say, I'm all donkey or I'm all elephant. They don't want you saying, well, I'm kind of like a mule with a trunk. No, don't do that. They want you hungry for red meat. 
not desiring nuanced policy discussions, because then you might actually realize that the person across the aisle is a human being who might have some insight into life, and then you won't vote down the party line, which is the goal. To say the us versus them mentality, welcome. The us versus them mentality serves to keep the rulers of this world in power. The moment that we start to realize in ourselves, hey, we might be more than one thing. Maybe it's possible for me to sometimes be a wolf and sometimes be a lamb. The moment we do that, we might realize it's true for our neighbors, even the people that we're in conflict with. And as soon as we do that, the whole system of power that this world uses will come crumbling down, which is to say, for peace... Peace for the conflicts in the world begins with peace for the conflicts in our hearts. We want to think that the roadblocks to Christ's coming fully into this world are the bad people. And we just have to figure out who those bad people are and get rid of them. But the truth is, the greatest stumbling block to our relationship with God is the same stumbling block that has been there since the beginning. It is our sin. It is specifically the sin that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God had made everything good and we decided, you know what? I'm going to judge for myself what is good and what is evil. Who is good and who is evil? Who's a wolf and who's a lamb? Who's wheat and who's chaff? I'm going to be the one to rule the world and decide what's what, not God. And we see this in the animal world as well, right? The lion doesn't think the lion's doing anything wrong, eating a little cow. The lion says, look, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I deserve this. That calf looks pretty weak. I'm actually doing the herd by a favor by thinning them out. And the bull, in contrast, says, look, it's entirely justified for me to gore the lion when he comes after my kid. I'm just practicing self-defense. Neither one stops to think and say, hey, wait a minute. I have this incredible power. What if maybe I'm not the best judge of what to do with it? That maybe there is a higher power that I could ask for guidance, that I could ask to rule my life. Maybe we could have Christ as our king to say that's actually what the kingdom of God means, right? It's where... God is in charge. The kingdom of heaven is where heaven rules. And so to actually identify what's preventing that is to identify the sin in our heart that won't let us let Jesus be in charge. John the Baptist says that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come with a threshing fork in his hand to separate the wheat and the chaff and to burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I got a picture here of some wheat. So wheat, the grain, is the little seed, right, that we eat. We grind to make our flour. It nourishes our body. Or it can be planted to make new wheat. The chaff is the outer husk that protects the wheat grain until it's ready to germinate. Yeah? To say the grain and the chaff are part of the same plant. And in fact, while every farmer wants the grain, no farmer is going to grow wheat without the chaff because that grain 
is not going to ripen without the chaff there to protect it until it's ready. We have within each of us grain, and we have within each of us chaff, right? We have within each of us defense mechanisms like the wheat does, ways in which we protect ourselves that are, in fact, necessary and helpful. The problem is there comes a point when those defense mechanisms, instead of helping us, they begin to hinder us. The wheat can't grow more wheat until it gives up the chaff. The wheat can't nourish bodies and souls until it gives up the chaff. And so the question is, are we willing to give up our chaff? And the good news is, when Jesus comes fully, he's going to make sure we give it up one way or another, yeah? So threshing, I got a picture of people threshing here. It works like this. They take a pile of wheat, it's all harvested together, and they whack it, right? They just beat it till it, till the, the husks break. And then they got their threshing forks, basically a rake, yeah? And they throw it up in the air. And remember, it's all mixed together, the wheat and the chaff at this point. And then they've got fans or wind that blow, and the chaff is lighter than the grain, and so the chaff all blows away. And the grain is what is left. That is what Jesus does for us. To say, hey, all this protection mechanisms that we have that we think make ourselves safe but actually hinder us, actually become a stumbling block to Christ in our lives. Jesus is coming. And he's coming to take all that away and to burn it with unquenchable fire because we will never need it again. Jesus will break, but not to destroy, but to remake. When John the Baptist talks about the tree getting cut down because it doesn't bear fruit, Isaiah reminds us it's so that that tree can put a shoot out of that stump. A shoot which will bear fruit. This is what Christ is coming to do. And we call this dynamic law and gospel. The law is that which forces us to confront the fact that when we put ourselves in charge, we end up harming not only ourselves but others. Right? This is John the Baptist's baptism of water and repentance. John the Baptist is trying to get people to realize, hey, you've put yourself in charge of the power that God has given you, and it's only hurting yourself and others. Something needs to change. But in addition to the law, we are also given the gospel. And the gospel is the promise of God's unconditional love for us. It's a promise that is essential if we are ever going to trust that we should give up our power to this God. We need to know God is going to take care of us. And we see this in Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. So say the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that promise that Jesus receives from the Holy Spirit in his baptism, you are God's beloved child with whom God is well pleased. And that baptism of fire with the apostles' experience on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on them like tongues of fire and they are empowered and sent out into this world with gifts of the Spirit to bring forth the kingdom of God. We need both baptisms. And as Christians, we understand our baptism to be both both a baptism of repentance, but also a baptism of Holy Spirit and fire, the promise of God's unconditional love and the strength to live it out. 
We need both law and gospel. Every parent knows this, right? I'm learning this with my own daughter. I don't let her put whatever she wants in her mouth because if she decides she's going to hurt herself and the Bible that I'm reading and the dog that's close enough she can grab. And so I say, no, Sophia, you're doing it wrong. And instead I say, trust your dad. Your dad's going to give you good food. It's tasty. It's going to help you grow big and strong. Your dad's going to give you toys you can play with and put in your mouth. They're going to be fun. It'll be so much better for you, Sophia. If you're not in charge and you let your dad be in charge. It's how we train animals, right? We have to restrain animals with the law long enough so that they don't hurt anyone. But at the same time, we continually show animals that they can trust us by caring for them, by feeding them, so that they're not afraid of us, so that they don't need as much of the law to restrain them. Law and gospel come to us in many ways, certainly in the sacrament of baptism. Law and gospel comes to us as we read the scriptures. Law and gospel comes to us through friends, giving us sound advice and honest reflection. And sometimes law and gospel comes to us directly from the Holy Spirit. Because look, there will come a time, as Isaiah says, when bears will be able to eat grass, when lions will be able to eat straws. There will come a day when Jesus will so profoundly change the nature of the world that even the desire to hurt and the need to sustain ourselves with others, will be taken away. But John the Baptist says that the kingdom of heaven has come near now. And I have video proof of it. Check this out. So this is a lion, a female lioness, stalking a cow-calf on the Sahara, uh, in the savannah. And you'll see what's about to happen here. Lion's coming in, lion's coming in. Uh, uh, uh. And she's lying down with the calf. So the people, the rangers who filmed this, they were sure this calf was a goner. But not only does the lioness take care of this calf, the calf ends up taking care of the lioness, eating all the little bugs off of her. This lioness will go on to foster five other baby calves. So here's a cute video of a baby bear and and a deer. They're getting along great. They've never seen each other before. This is kind of weird. You're different, but no reason why we can't be friends. Yeah, right? So uh, in the zoo in Thailand, there is a Bengal tiger who has adopted six piglets. they They just play together in the zoo, right? It's helpful this tiger gets fed, yeah? Right? There is a a greater power taking care of that tiger, and it helps. So this is a snake in a zoo in Japan. It was fed a hamster, but it didn't eat the hamster. Instead, they became best friends. And now the hamster just, like, hangs out on top of the rattlesnake. Yeah? To say, if it is possible, if it is possible for this lion to lie down with this calf, if it's possible for this tiger to take care of these piglets, if it's possible for this snake to become best friends with a hamster, 
how much more possible should it be for the Russian bear and the American eagle to put down their enmity? How much more possible should it be for a donkey and an elephant to be friends? How much more possible should it be for the child within us to to befriend the serpent within us and make peace? If these animals can let Christ rule in their lives, then so can we. So may we prepare the way of the Lord. May we make straight his paths. May we prepare for peace on earth, starting with our own hearts. Amen.